that is all for announcements. With that, I'd like to welcome Pastor Tom. So if you were not here this Sunday that uh, we told about Brian's resignation, Brian and the Montres are... Uh, finished with the responsibilities of leading worship here. Brian has been both business and worship, and December 31st is his final day. They're they're still going to be in the church. He's going to do some other things and just feels like he needs to do that in this season. And so we have been praying as a congregation, God, and I knew right away it was going to mean two people because... Um, we used to have two people, and Brian, when, when Pastor John Ruck resigned, wanted to do business too, and so he, he had two roles, but um, it's, it's really, it's too much. I, I think it's too much for one person, and so we've been praying, God, who would you put into these two places, and um, our last elders meeting, the end of October, um, our elders extended an invitation to Chris Lancer to be our next business administrator and Nathan Rohde to be our next worship pastor, um, both who are, have served here as elders, both who are, are very gifted and both were recommended by Brian. And um, so I, I said, you can tell me no whenever you want to, but you can't say yes until we've done the, our leadership retreat because we are very much a team here, and you're you're becoming part of a of a team, and you need to feel that. You need to you need to own that you're on the team, and you you understand this operates as a team. And so, um, they came to our leaders retreat last weekend, and uh, both came back with an acceptance of the position. And so, we're going to install them on. Uh, November 29th, Tuesday night, 6.30 to 8. And um, Nathan will be starting right away January 1st. Chris right now is in charge of our daycare. And that transition is going to be slower because what happens to daycare and how that happens is really important. And so that will be over several months. But we are doing the, the kind of the setting apart of them uh, November 29th, and we'll tell more of the story because it is a great story of how God has raised these two up at this critical time and made it very clear this is how he wants us to go forward. So that's happening. The uh, This morning... Is one of those, one of those days where you. Uh, some days you're excited about being a pastor, and other days you're you're not that excited. Um, so th- this morning early, God changed this message. It is it is stronger. It is more painful than was planned. Um, but I, I have to deliver the mail, so sorry about that. Um, here we go. Uh, Daniel chapter four. I'm gonna just. I'm gonna save you standing for the prayer because it's a, it's another long passage. Daniel four. Here we go. I have to set this up just a little. Um, First, Daniel, okay, is also called Belshazzar. That's the name Nebuchadnezzar renamed him. Nebuchadnezzar is the king, and he has received a very troubling dream. And in this dream, he sees this huge tree, and, and it's, it's massive, and everybody's getting shade from it and fruit from it, and it's just this gorgeous, amazing tree, and then there's this voice out of heaven that says, cut the tree down and leave the stump, and for seven seasons of time, um, this uh, make him, it just says in the dream, uh, eat, become like cattle and eat grass. And, and after the seven times, the, it's until he will acknowledge God and acknowledge God's authority. And then that stump that remained would become a tree again. And so this was, this was the dream. And, um, 
He brings all of his wise men in and they can't tell him what it is. And then he brings Daniel in. And uh, so, so here we go. He has described the dream to Daniel. And now we've got Daniel's response. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in all the branches for the birds, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at that same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. And I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Would you please stand with me as we pray? Father, I thank you for every single one that is here today. I thank you that your intention for every single one of us is kindness and mercy and grace. 
And there is something in between us experiencing all that you have for us, and that's our pride. Father, we thank you that you are able to humble those who walk in pride, but we are also grateful that you give an opportunity for us to humble ourselves. Father, would you speak today? Would you expose pride in us today? We want to be under the fountain of your grace. Please help us individually and as a, as a group here today to experience your grace, your mercy, and your kindness. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Please give me liberty to speak just what I'm supposed to speak boldly as I'm supposed to say it. Help us, help me, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is Choosing Humility. Point one is the patience of God. The patience of God. King Nebuchadnezzar is a very strong man and he's got a very strong army behind him and he breaks into Israel and um, takes these captives, these Jewish captives, but he also takes vessels from the temple of, of God and puts them in the temple of his God and he is expressing dominion over these people and over the God of Israel. And of course, um, God is in his heavens and he can do whatever he pleases. And so we wonder how will he react to this blasphemous act of disregard for God and for who he is. So in chapter two, he comes to him in a dream and he can't understand the dream. And, and so Daniel is, uh, and he's gonna kill all of the wise men. And so Daniel is given the dream and tells him what the king's dream was and what the interpretation is. And at the end of Daniel two, Nebuchadnezzar says this, surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. So he has had an encounter with the power of God. This is the true God. This is the, the only God of heaven could reveal these mysteries. And he's, he's learned something about God. But instead of repenting, in chapter 3, he, he goes the other way. He sends Daniel away to wherever, because Daniel knows what the real interpretation is to this dream, and he builds a statue like the one in his dream, except this one is all gold. It, 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 the whole point of that dream is that God is, has given a kingdom to you, and another's coming after you, and another's coming after you, and, but there's an eternal kingdom coming, and you need to be part of the eternal kingdom because this earthly life is passing away. But he, he sets up, he was the head of gold, and then there was going to be iron, but he sets the whole statue up as gold. He, he is holding on to his kingdom and his power and um, so then he has these three children, young Daniel's young men, actually, and, and, and commands them to, to bow down, and they won't bow down, so he has them thrown into the fire. And then we have, at the end of chapter 3, we have him again saying, there's no, there's no God like your God. No other God could deliver in this way. God has revealed himself twice. So then life goes on. God speaks to this man again. Consider the patience of God. Consider God's patience with a man that's filled with his own ego. He comes, he shows him one miracle, he shows him a second miracle, 
And now he comes to him a third time with a dream. And, and gives him the interpretation of the dream that, that, and, and, and a plan of uh, where he can experience, continue to experience the mercy of God by repenting now and, and repenting of what he's done, but, but he refuses to repent. Um, but even then, God stays with him. God doesn't wipe out the whole tree. He leaves the stump. And then after seven years of eating grass like a cow or seven periods of time, whether it's months or years, we don't know for sure, but he is humbled in every single way. Once again, the mercy of God comes to him. And it's given to him. His right understanding is given to him for the purpose of him being able to either acknowledge God or continue to not acknowledge God. And in that time, he starts acknowledging God. And chapter four tells of his conversion. Now he is a believer. Now he is a servant of God. And he ends with God is able to humble those who are proud. George Rawlison, um, a scholar of the Old Testament, writes this about uh, ancient Babylon. Modern research has shown that Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest monarch that Babylon, or perhaps the East generally, ever produced. He must have possessed an enormous command of human labor. Nine-tenths of Babylon itself and 19 twentieths of all the other ruins that are in almost countless profusion cover the land are composed of bricks stamped with his name. Every single brick was stamped with his Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar. His inscriptions give an elaborate account of the immense works which he constructed in and about Babylon itself, abundantly illustrating the boast, is not this the great Babylon which I have built? The patience of God with a man. And here's what's stunning to me. is after all of his rebellion, after all that he's done wrong, after this arrogance of I have built this for my glory, for my majesty, after all of that, when he finally acknowledges God, when he finally turns to God, the Bible says this, his reason was restored, his advisor sought him out, and the kingdom of Babylon became even greater. It's just amazing. Do you, know, do you know that God's not against your success? He's just against your success without him. Because your success without him is not success. It's not true success. It's going to lead to failure. God's patience with sinners is, is an, an amazing thing to behold. Um, listen to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 15 and 16. This is Paul. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul, of course, started out as Saul. He started out very filled with himself, very filled with religious zeal, very filled with I am right, everybody else is wrong, and was actually actively pursuing Christians, killing Christians, overseeing them. It wasn't good enough to just kill the ones that were near. He was going to other places, and it was on the road to Damascus that Jesus appeared to him. And his story is one of the greatest conversions in history. And one of the most dramatic. 
And Paul says there's a reason why God made me a leader in the church. There's a reason why God gave me the authority of an apostle. Because he wanted to demonstrate to humanity how patient he is. He wanted to demonstrate to us that no one is beyond his reach. That people that we have concluded are too far gone, are too proud, are too arrogant, are too anything. That that God is able to humble those who walk in pride. This is a very comforting thing about who God is. So here's what happened to me. At the end of my freshman year of college, I was in a very broken place. I went my whole life, my identity has been in competing. In, in, in high school, I was the first chair in the band, and I was the first, the first guy in the chess club, and I was the first this and the first that, and my identity was always in outperforming, outdoing, and um, I went through a time of extreme brokenness And during this time, I accepted Christ. And uh, (laughs) the problem is, after the trauma of that time wore off, I'm, I'm starting to study the Bible, I'm starting to go to Bible studies, and I realize what Christianity is, and I come across this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I, I, we might even have it. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. I came across this and it's a, it, it, it starts out by saying that God is going to destroy the wisdom of the wise and he's going to destroy the intelligence of the intelligent. And I'm reading this and I'm like, oh my, this, I will, I, I'm not, my whole family, my whole upbringing has been based in intellectual pride and being very opinionated and very right and always thinking we're smarter and every, and I'm like, uh, I, I got saved. I see why I got saved. How am I going to stay saved? I became so aware of how proud I was, just how proud. And you can't just try to not be proud. I mean, it's, it's just there. It would come up and I would see it and I would just say, I, I just... I know that I am saved, but I don't, I don't know how I'm going to stay saved. And God, in your mercy, in your mercy, keep me. And all I could do was go, go day by day because I was so aware of pride. But God is able to humble those who walk in pride. My dad got saved four days before he died. My sister Katie led him to the Lord. It was absolutely beautiful. But the result of it was, uh, I, I wasn't always the most diplomatic on how I shared things and how I, and, and the, the truth was my, my sister Sheila, I knew that there was a big divide between her and I and when I got saved, she wrote me a 10-page letter. I, it, it, here's why I will never become a born-again Christian. Um, I believe in evolution. Therefore, Adam and Eve weren't real people. Therefore, the Bible isn't true. Therefore, I'm a Christian in the sense that I love people, but I could never be so simple as to believe the gospel and uh, to believe that I need Jesus as my Savior, and there's only one way to heaven. And um, so it was very clear. And there was just a, this distance between my sister Sheila and I. She, she, she's a strong, very strong person. And, and so after... Dad died and got saved. Somehow she got wind that I thought Dad got saved right at the end. And she wrote me the most scathing letter I've ever read about the arrogance of me and who do I think I am. And Dad was a good person and he didn't da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, and so there's just this, this divide. And uh, then she 
she, uh, she got cancer and, and, uh, I, I was in Montevideo at the time, and I just wanted to go and be with her, and, and, and I'd, seen God, I'd seen God heal. I'd seen Jesus heal, and I, I wanted to go down there and pray for her, and um, she did not want me to come, and, uh, but she didn't tell me that. She told my mom that, and, but mom just said, maybe it won't be that horrible, and, um, and, and, and so, so I... I, I, I Long story short, she allowed me to come down there, and we spent a week together, and and God did a lot of healing in our relationship, and I came back, and um, and and then they 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 had her at home. The hospital bed was in in their living room, and um, we were taking stages going down there because somebody needed to be with her all the time, and um, so when it was my turn, I went down a second time, and. She just became more and more tender, and she she wanted to hear the Bible. And I'm 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 reading Colossians to her. I'm reading Colossians two. We get to verses eight and nine, and and Paul says, "Do not let anyone take you captive with worldly philosophy or human traditions, instead of after Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of God dwells." And she stops. She stops me, and she says, "Tommy, what do you?" what do you do with pride? I said, what do you mean? She said, I, I, don't think I, can, I don't think I can come to Christ because of my pride. I've just been so proud my whole life. And I said, Sheila, God can handle pride. Why don't we just give your pride to him right now? And up to this point, because of her, our background as Catholic, I had always led her in prayers. That was the only way she felt comfortable. I would pray it, and then she would pray it after me. And so I'm getting ready to prepare a prayer to give God pride, and she just breaks in with this prayer, acknowledging pride and her inability to get past it herself. And she gives it to God. And something so beautiful happened to my sister the last two months of her life. She became radiant with God. She, she became radiant with Jesus. I felt bad for her family because they'd never seen... They'd never... They had never seen her like this before. She would gather the family. Why don't we just get together and pray? Why don't we all join hands? Why don't we have a few people lead off? Why don't we have a song? Why don't we? It was so sweet and so beautiful. And however difficult her death was, it was, for me, it was just, (sighs) when I go, I want to go when I'm at my very, very best and my very most humble, and my very most on fire. And all I could see was the goodness of God and the patience of God with sinners. If you're here today and you're just filled with your own thoughts and your own arguments and your own pride and, and you think somehow that, it, it's too, that would be too much for God to handle, it's not too much. God's got his eye on you. God's got you here today. Here's point two. Point two is plan A and B. God has two plans for your life, and you can choose which one you want. Daniel chapter four, verse 27. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So God's speaking to this man about his pride. He gives him a warning of what's going to happen if he doesn't humble himself. And Daniel says, King, oh King, live forever. Here's what I'd do. 
I'd humble myself now. Don't let this dream come true. This is the long tradition of God. That God has a plan A whereby we repent. This is, this is, Jonah was very aware of this. When God says, in 40 days, I'm going to destroy Nineveh, he knows what's on God's heart is mercy. He knows what has gone, in, in chapter four of Jonah, he says, I knew right from the beginning, because Jonah's angry when they, when they repent and they don't get destroyed. And God says, why are you mad? And he says, I'll tell you why I'm mad. I knew at the beginning that when I gave this warning, your plan was for them to repent so you could show mercy. I know you're slow to anger. I know you're full of graciousness. This is exactly what I feared. I want a judgment to come, and you've had mercy. Because when God looks at your life, he always wants plan A. He doesn't want plan B. Plan A is when we humble ourselves. Plan B is when he has to bring about circumstances that humble us for our own good. Dave Bechtold, our family pastor, has given his testimony many times. And uh, uh, the reason why I think he's such a great pastor and uh, works so well with families is because of his, his dad. And turns out that Dave was not uh, a very obedient kid. And in his teenage years, Dave was constantly grounded he was constantly in trouble, and his dad is just the gentlest, kindest person, and, and he would just meet with Dave and say, hey, buddy, I know, life's hard, isn't it? He said, life doesn't have to be this hard. Life could be a lot easier. You could have a lot, of, you could have a lot more fun. You just, you just, you can't do it your own way. You're always being punished. You're making my life difficult as your dad. I don't want to be punishing you all the time. And you're making your own life difficult. But I love you too much to not punish you. And so, make your life easier. Jesus said this four different times. One of them is Luke 18, 14. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It is within your power to humble yourself. God has given us this gift. We can humble ourselves. We do not have to wait for plan B where we are, are filled with pride, refuse to humble ourselves, and God has to humble us. We can humble ourselves. This is God's preferred way of dealing with us where he invites us to humble ourselves. Proverbs 22.4, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. I, I, this, this scripture is stunning to me. Everything America wants, riches, honor, and life or happiness, everything they want will come to you if you stop pursuing it. <laughs> You, you start pursuing the fear of the Lord and humility, and these things will kind of catch up to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these other things will be at God is a generous God. God is not trying to ruin our lives. He's not trying to... He, he wants us to aim for the right things. Do you remember Solomon? When Solomon aimed for the right thing and he, God, God said whatever you want, he aimed for the right thing. God's going to say, I, I'm going to give you everything you didn't ask for just because I'm pleased that you've aimed for the right thing. Choose humility. If not, we end up with plan B. At the end of plan B, It's still up to Nebuchadnezzar when he's given his right mind to decide whether he's going to acknowledge God, acknowledge God's discipline, acknowledge God's right, acknowledge God's dominion. Even plan B isn't a cure-all because you can still choose pride. A few days ago, the one-year Bible reading was about King Asa and 
was a very sobering reading. Asa, it starts out as it does with all the kings. It kind of gives a little overview of his personality. And it says this about Asa. Asa pleased God. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And, it, and then it tells his story. That, that very early on, there was an impossible situation. The armies, uh, enemy armies were coming against Israel and he humbled himself and he cried out to God and God gave Asa a great victory. And this, of course, increased his honor. It increased riches. It increased everything. And, and so later in his kingdom... Almost the identical situation comes to him. But this time, instead of crying out to God, he's now got wealth. And so he sells a lot of the temple gold and a lot of the items and he hires another army and that army comes in and sure enough, Israel is saved by this other army. And so he is just, he's just using resources to solve problems. But then, then something bad happens. Hanani comes, Hanani is a prophet. And he says to King Asa, what you have done has displeased God. Because you, when you were young, you trusted God, but now you, you didn't trust God. You trusted your, your money. And that's all, that's, that's the word. Instead of repenting and acknowledging that this is right, of course, King Asa is now, he's a successful king. He is king and he's been king and he's God's man. Instead of humbling himself, he gets very angry with Hanani. And he puts him in prison. Have you ever gotten really angry at somebody that corrects you? Part of why you're really angry is you know they're right. And it just makes you so mad. Who do they think they are? They don't, they've got problems of their own. They're, and it can immediately make you attack them, but it, it, he's, just, he's just angry. He's got the authority as the king to put this guy in prison and... Um, So then, what does God do? Well, the Bible says that the king got a foot disease. It doesn't say that God sent the foot disease, but he certainly allowed it. The foot disease was meant to humble him. It was meant to bring him back to God. It was meant for him to call out to God. God wanted to heal his foot disease. God wanted to help. But it says this about him. He refused to seek the Lord. He, sought the, he only sought the doctors. And it says he refused to seek the Lord. And he ended up dying of a foot disease. God loves us. God's reaching out to us. God allows things to happen to get our attention so that we'll humble ourselves. God brings people to correct us. It's always better to be corrected by people and repent right now. It's always better to have a humble heart. He can, when Hanani comes and just says, listen, you did it the wrong way. You trusted your money. Um, you, you did it wrong. He can just say, I repent. That was wrong. I've lost my tenderness before God. I'm, I've, in my prosperity, when things were desperate, I trusted God. And now, as things have gotten more comfortable, I, I didn't trust God. And thank you, Hanani. Thank you for speaking into my life. Thank you. I needed that. I, I need to become tender again. He got angry. And then God uses this foot disease 
And he's just trying to get his guy back. He's just trying to get his guy back. I mean, it's a statement when you die of a foot disease. This is not a heart attack. This is not cancer. Something wrong with my foot. You don't die from that. There's nothing wrong, by the way, with going to doctors and finding what doctors have to say. It is wrong to only seek the help of doctors and refuse to trust God with your problems. It is okay to try to solve problems, but it is not okay to refuse to acknowledge your need of God's help. God loves us. He wants plan A, but he will go to plan B if he has to. But even plan B is not a guarantee because we can choose no and say no to God. Point three, choosing humility. The need to be broken. Here's Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. So, brokenness. Why do we need to be broken? Because pride is what we've made ourselves. Pride is us and what we have made. And brokenness is when we come before God and allow him to remake us. Allow him to break off everything we've made ourselves to remake us however he wants to make us. The reason why it says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart is that's got to be the first sacrifice is brokenness. Until there's brokenness, any other sacrifice you're making is, it means nothing to God. David says two verses later in verse 19, then I will make right sacrifices. Then you will accept burnt offerings. Then you will, you will accept everything else I'm doing. But the first sacrifice has to be a broken and contrite heart where you allow God to remake you, where we allow God to, to break us. Listen to Nebuchadnezzar after chapter 2 or after chapter 3. He says, therefore, he he has seen the, the fourth man in the fiery furnace. This is what he says. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Do you see that even though he's had a revelation from God, he is completely unbroken. He's still the king and now he's helping God out. Now I'm going to use my empire and I'm going to, I am going to enforce God's judgment on anybody that doesn't believe in him because I am the king. Folks, God does not need your help. God doesn't need your help. Listen, listen to uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 25. It says this about God. He is not served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. The idea that you and I are going to help God on his way, poor God, doesn't have anybody serving him. We need to help God and, you know, get people to be saved. And we need to, we need to help God because that, that's, that, that's just not, it's the wrong picture. God's not looking for... For, for somebody to help him because he, he, he sustains all things. God could solve all problems apart from us. What God is seeking is not your help. He's seeking your fellowship. God, God's plan is that we first come to him with our pride and let him break us and remold us so that he with us can now go out and change the world. So we that now with him go out and see his plans and see his purposes accomplished 
We're not doing it for God. We're doing it with God. But we have to choose to be broken in Jesus. Here's Luke 20, verse 18. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Jesus, this is, this is a reference to the stone um, that is cut without human hands in Daniel chapter 2. It's a reference to, the, the, in, in Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, that God was taking Christ, who was going to be rejected by people, and he was building his temple based on him. He was building this new inhabitation of God, starting with Jesus. He is the stone that is the foundation stone of all of Christianity. And so Jesus gives the two options. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. This this was actually in the song just a few minutes ago. We fall on you. In response to us falling on you, you come fall on us. We choose to fall on you, Jesus. We choose to give you our lives and just when you give your life to Jesus, don't worry. You don't have to try to make this happen. He will, he will break you. He will break pride away from you. He will break away everything. Frankly, it's everything that's not the real you. It's everything that pride has made. It's everything that culture has made. It's everything that society has tried to put in. It's everything that the devil has lied to you about. He is going to break off everything that is not the real you that he created. What God's looking for is you and I to be ourselves filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled, living out of union with him. But for that to happen, there's going to be brokenness. Area by area, kind of like peeling an onion. Pride, pride, pride. I was thinking back this morning on all the different churches that I have been in. And you might think, wow, I bet you, I bet you look back and there's, you know, you wish it was back then and this was the, and I I look back and, and all I can remember in all of these churches is so much pain of me be having to be broken and God using, and every, every church that I was in, I saw more of me that had to be broken. I saw more of how God was using the church, using the people to break me. And so I don't, I don't have any desire to go back to some other time. There's been, there's been a lot of pain. I'm, I'm glad it's over, praise God. And I totally understand the confusion. Should we clap or not? I don't know what we should do. I, I get, I totally get that. So here's what, here's what we have to talk about for a moment. Is the problem of unbroken Christians. First, just because we know the Bible or we are in leadership does not mean that we're broken. In, in Luke 18, the very story Jesus gives is about a Pharisee and a publican. The Pharisee is a religious leader. He knows the Bible way better than everybody else does. And he says to, to himself, it says, um, thank God that I'm not like other people. Thank God that I tie. Thank God that I'm good. Thank God. And then he actually looks over because pride will always be looking around to see who it's better than. And he sees this publican who is, who is over there and he, and he says, thank God that I'm not like that publican. Thank God that I'm holier than him. Thank God that I keep all the rules. And Jesus says, and the publican's over there and he's not looking at anybody. He's looking at the ground. He's beating his chest. And he's saying, dear God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, and this man went out forgiven and the other one didn't because whoever humbles himself will be exalted and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. So this morning, this morning's one year Bible reading, this is how I woke up today. 
is James chapter 4. And the whole chapter is devoted to unbroken Christians. James gives four signs of unbroken Christians. Number one, and this is verses one through three, fighting with each other, squabbling with each other, hating each other, just trying to get your way, doing anything, saying anything, manipulating to get your own way. It speaks of interpersonal relationships that are just like this. Then he gives the second one. He talks about their, their life with God. He says, you don't have, here's why you don't have, because you don't even ask. You're not even asking God anymore. You're just trying to get whatever you want yourself. But when you do ask, when you do turn to God, when you finally turn to God, because you can't get what you want on your own, he says, you don't even receive it because you're asking not for God's glory, not for even for the good of mankind. You're asking only for your own pleasure. You're just trying to use God for your own thing. So that's relationship with God. Then he talks about, um, later in the chapter, um, slandering one another. Stop slandering each other. Stop biting and devouring one another. Just, just to p- pump yourself up. There's only one judge. It's Jesus. It's not you. Stop judging each other. Stop slandering each other. And And then the fourth thing he gives is stop boasting. You boast as if your money and your time is your own and that that you're going to do this and this and this and this is what we're going to do next summer and this is what we're going to do. He says, says, all such talk is boasting. He said, you should start everything you say about the future with, if the Lord wills, we will do such and such. Not as a phrase, not as, you know, this is the religious thing to say. No, for real. For real, to really believe that God has given you today to live and there is no promise for tomorrow, that tomorrow is going to take care of itself. I got to live today. I got to live with God today and, and God's got the future and it's fine to make plans, but it needs to be with the humility that recognizes as God wills, as God wills, as God wills. There is a Humility that is necessary. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. So I'm going to just tell you, Can I just fess up, tell you why I'm a little tender right now? (laughs) So I'm reading about Asa, and I'm, 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 I'm doing this men's breakfast coming up in a couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this is such a great word for men that have been successful in business. They used to trust God, and now they're not trusting God anymore, and, and, and that, that you know, they need to stay humble, and da-da-da, and I, I'm planning this for the businessman, and God just says, what about you? And I see my own heart. When City Church started, we were desperate. We were, we were, unless God came, we were, we were going to lose all the buildings. We, I mean, every single week was desperation. We were, we were at a place where you, you just, all you needed to do was do the math, and you knew we needed God. We needed God. And so every decision was filled with the fear of God because if, we don't, if we're not doing what pleases God, this thing isn't making it in. And so this last week, some minor thing and I gave my opinion on it and somebody, somebody gave a correction to me. I got angry. Hmm. He's questioning my authority, questioning my right, da 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 and I had my little email with energy. <laughs> and I'm reading about Hanani. And I'm like, dear God, that person that corrected me is my friend, not my enemy. Dear God, where you want to take City Church 
is so far beyond where we are right now. And we have to get humility. I have to get humility. Sometimes when we've been Christians for a while and we've got a history with God and we've got miracles in our past, our ground becomes hard. It needs to be plowed again. It needs to be, you need to turn it over again. You need to re-repent. You need to re-be broken. You need to get that thing ready for a fresh crop because God's not about what happened in your life yesterday. He's, he's about today. And you and I have the capacity to plow up our own ground. To become soft again. Pastor Tom, you don't know how hard I've become. Listen, this is the new covenant. The new covenant's promises, I will take out the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. This is about the grace of God. As we purpose to humble ourselves, God is able to give us softness again. To give us tenderness again. What does brokenness look like? James, then he goes right through 4, 6, and 7. He says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, he says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. As we submit ourselves to God in humility... You just need to recognize the devil is going to be right there. He's going to tell you that God is angry with you or that somehow God is rejecting you. Hebrews 12 says that is absolutely not true. When God is disciplining you, it's a sign of his love and his acceptance. And it is very easy when you, when you try to repent, when you try to humble yourself for the devil to get in and it get all confused. And pretty soon you think God's against you. God's not against you. God's for you. You submit to God and resist the devil's lies. Then he says, 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart. This washing your hands as you come near to God is a reference to the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a picture in the Old Testament, the temple was built after it, of how you approach God. And it starts at the brazen altar. The brazen altar is outside of the holy place and the holy of holies. That's where the sacrifice was made. You don't even start coming to God until there has been a sacrifice made and the high priest would make that sacrifice of that unblemished lamb and that is before, until that happens, no one comes near God. Well, the new covenant, Jesus is our high priest and the sacrifice was himself. And he made a way for us to come. And then after the brazen altar, you would come to the bronze laver. And the bronze laver was made of brass, which was their mirrors. And you would see where there was blood on you. And you would wash before you went in to the holy place. Wash your hands. You look into the mirror and you see where there is sin. And you wash yourself. You confess, 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. God is waiting to draw near to you. Just come and wash up. If you've sinned, he'll show it to you. You'll see it in the mirror. He'll show it to you in the mirror. Confess it. it your sin is, cannot keep you from God unless you don't confess it. Confess it and draw near. God is waiting. And then he says these words, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I'm not good at grieve, mourn, and wail. But this is part of brokenness. And I believe this is what is necessary right now in our country. However you voted, this is not a time of exhilaration or of despair. If you, vote, if you voted for Donald Trump, I want, I want you to just consider this. This. 
this is a man who said many, many things that are creating fear and despair in a lot of our country. He he said many things that were sexist and many things that were racist. And so we've got many people that are in fear because of what he has said. It's not time to be exhilarated. It's time to pray for him. It's time to pray that he will choose plan A. Now, I will grant you that he's a lot like Nebuchadnezzar. A lot of the things that Donald Trump says, he, he, he talks before he thinks. And a lot of the things even that he thinks, he's never really thought about them. He just was making money. And so he never really had a chance to really address issues. And so we need to pray for him. We need to pray that he'll get advisors around him that are like Daniel. If that's how you wanted it to go, this is not time to rejoice. This is time to pray. And if you voted for Hillary Clinton, or if you are among the minorities or women that feel genuine fear and despair at what happened, I want to encourage you and I want to comfort you. That God is able to humble those that walk in pride. That God was able to keep Babylon together even while he was working on Nebuchadnezzar. The whole thing didn't fall apart. God is good. But the big issue right now isn't about Donald Trump, Democrats, Republicans, Hillary Clinton. It's not about that. There is an opportunity right now in this land. And I'll just give you the promise because we're almost done. Second, Second Chronicles 7.14. This is where God's eyes are right now. If my people who are called by my name, you don't need somebody else to do something for you to do this. We don't need somebody to vote a certain way for us to do this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will choose humility, will fall on the rock and say, God, forgive me. God, help me at Thanksgiving to be part of the answer and not stirring up more issues. Help me to have compassion and sympathy for those that might be hurting, for those that might be afraid, for those that are, 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 are not They don't see it maybe the way I saw it. Humble, humble ourselves. And when you're in the place of humility, prayer is easy. When you're proud, prayer is very hard. You don't want to pray, you want to solve. This is a time for prayer, folks. It's a time for prayer for our nation. It's a time for prayer for us. And seek my face. Seek my face means seek him for who he is. Don't just seek him for your own pleasure and what you'd like to see happen, how your life could be better. He's good. He can take care of all that. Seek his face. And turn from your wicked ways. Stop being easy on yourself. Stop making excuses for yourself. Folks, it's time to repent. It's time for us to own sin and repent and say, I'm done. I'm done going that way. I'm going a different way. And then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive your sin and I will heal your land. Could we stand together? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm going to ask for the lights to come down. We're going to end today a little differently. If you have children down in the nursery, we're certainly going to want you to get them. But I want to invite you, if you're not done here, to bring them back up here. We're going to open up this altar. We're not going to have ministry teams up here. We're just going to have an open altar. If you need to go, totally understand. No, no guilt, no nothing. Um, just, I'm asking you to, to fellowship out in the foyer. I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting this to be a place of prayer. First and foremost, for ourselves. 
that God would remove any pride in us. That we would fall on Jesus today and say, Jesus, you breaking me is a really good thing, not a bad thing. When you break me, it is to take out everything that's ugly, everything that's false, everything that's disingenuous, everything that the lie. You, when you break me, it is a good thing. And I embrace that with all my heart. So I'm just encouraging you to, you can come to the front, you can kneel where you are, you can just worship, but I'm encouraging you to be in the presence of God and do business with God. Let him dismiss you. Can we do it that way? Bless you.